part of the year that we are actually in. We are in the time right after Easter, and we are headed toward not summer. We're not headed toward Memorial Day when you open your pool and you have, you know, fires and cookouts and, and summer is beginning. I want to take you back to Jewish culture. I want to take you back to New Testament times. I want to show you what's coming after a crucifixion and after a resurrection. So the Feast of the Lord is what we're talking about today. Here we go. The feasts are holidays set in order by God himself. Hence the term Feast of the Lord. And they can be found, all seven of them, in Leviticus chapter 23. The Feast of Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Feast of Weeks, Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Feast of Tabernacles. The first four feasts from Passover to Feast of Weeks occur in the spring of the year. The last three feasts, Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Feast of Tabernacles, take place in the fall of the year. It is wrapped around the agricultural uh, culture and calendar of Israel. The Hebrew word translated feast means appointed times. Appointed times. When you went to a feast or when a feast was coming up, it was an appointed time when man and God got together. Just like we get together at Thanksgiving, we get together at Christmas, New Year's, those are appointed times. The Jews had these feasts, okay? Point number one, there's six different points here. These seven feasts of the Lord were given to the Hebrew nation. The Jewish people are God's covenant people. It was through the Jews that we received the Bible and the gospel. Amen? Jesus was a Jew, right? Amen. Next one. These feasts relate to Israel's spring and fall agricultural seasons. Yes. The timing of the Jewish feast is based on the Jewish lunar month or calendar, lunar which means moon, calendar, of approximately 354 day year. Periodically, seven times every 19 years, the modern Jewish calendar has a 13th month to make up for its shorter year. Okay. The seven feasts typify the sequence and significance of major events in the Lord's redemptive career. Now, the Lord took on a career. He took on flesh to become our Savior. Amen? So let's look at the feast. Because the spiritual realities to which the feast clearly point are fulfilled in the Messiah, all men everywhere have been placed in an opportune position. All of humanity has been extended an invitation to meet with God and receive the blessings toward which these seven feasts inerrantly point. And finally, the participation of the Gentiles in the blessing associated with the feast, God's appointed uh, for Israel should come as no surprise. It is consistent with God's unconditional covenant with Abraham, the central provision of which is this, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's what God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless all of the seed in you and I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. Genesis 22:18, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Seven is the biblical number for perfection or completion. God rested on the seventh day. Israel observed Sabbath rest on the seventh day of the week. The seventh month of the year is especially holy. No farming in Israel on the seventh year. 
Seven sevens of years were counted, making 49 years. The next year was the 50th year, which was called the year of Jubilee. Seven sevens are year of years determined that God would bring to perfection and completion His redemptive purpose. The book of Revelation uses the number seven 50 times. There's seven trumpets, there's seven seals, there are seven bowls. Okay. The Feast of Passover, Leviticus 23.5. In the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. That month is Nisan, which is March or April in our calendar. Passover is the foundational feast. The six feasts that follow are built upon Passover. Okay. While the Jewish people have celebrated the Passover annually since the time of Moses... In reality, there was only one Passover, and it occurred almost 3,500 years ago in Egypt when God delivered Israel out of the hand of the Egyptians. Amen? Of the many words that could be used to describe what took place in Egypt 3,500 years ago, none fits better or more comprehensive than one word, redemption. God redeemed Israel out of slavery and out of bondage. God redeemed them and brought them out. All right. For John 1.29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was our Passover. Paul said to the Corinthians, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. Look at your neighbor and say, Lumpy. Hey, lumpy, as you are unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. All right. Now we're going to go today to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. As I studied this and as I looked at it, there were some great, great things that popped out of this study. First of all, the feast began on the 15th day of Nisan, the day after Passover. It lasted seven days. The first night and then again on the last night was to be a time of meeting, a convocation between God and man. So intimately related are these two holidays, Passover and Unleavened Bread, that with the passing of time they came to be observed as one holiday by the Jewish people. Now let's go to the next slide. I want to show you this. In the scriptures, leaven symbolizes error or evil. Leaven is yeast. Leaven is yeast. It represents uh, error or evil. It is the agent that causes fermentation. So when you see leaven in the scripture, it is called as sin. Mark 8.15 says this. Jesus said, beware. He said, and charged them saying, take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. It was the Apostle Paul who warned the Corinthian church in the context of unjudged sin in their midst when he said in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 that says your glorying is not good. You Know you not or don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If there's a little bit of sin, there's going to be sin all the way through it. Amen? If you got a little sin in your life, the sin is there. You can't say, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy except I got this little room of sin in my life. That little room of sin's in the house. And if there's sin in the, in the room, there's sin in the house. Amen? So it takes care of the whole thing. So Paul was telling the Corinthian church 
Listen, if you don't deal with the sin in your life and in the church, it's going to permeate and infect everything. The Messiah was crucified on Passover, Matthew 26, 4 and 5, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtility and kill him. Now this is the high priest, and this is the council of the Jews. Caiaphas was the high priest. They did not want to kill Jesus on the feast because that would have went against the law. And they said this, not on a feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. So guess what they did? Now God can't change his plan. If the Passover lamb died 1,500 years before in Egypt, then Jesus, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, is going to die on Passover. So what did they do? They said to the, the Roman soldiers, well, listen, we can't kill him, but he's going to cause problems for you politically, and he's going to cause an uprising and a coup d'etat, and you better get rid of him. So the Romans, the heathens that they were, had no problem killing Jesus on Passover. There it is. They had no problem killing him on Passover. And so that's why he was killed on Passover is because God cannot stop the events that he puts in place. When God puts something in your life and puts it in process and in motion, nothing can stop the motion of God in your life. I want God to cause some motion in my life. I want God to cause some commotion in my life. I want God to turn me inside out. I want him to turn me right side in. I want God to do whatever he's got to do in my life to make me what he wants me to be. Amen? Now we've got to remember this, that by doing that, God may take us to areas that we have never been to before. He may take us in situations that we are not comfortable with. He may take us into situations that in fact violate the holy grail that says we've never done it like that before. Or even the holier grail that says, what about grandma? What about granny? Granny's gone. She was Lutheran. She loved God. She's in the hands of God. But God has to deal with Trace in a different way than he dealt with Grandma because Trace knows more that's going on in his life than Grandma knew what's going on in Trace's life. Amen? So the Romans said, we'll take care of him. And in Matthew 26, 5, they said, we will kill him. So he was taken from the cross, and in keeping with Jewish custom, he was buried as soon as possible. His body was placed in a borrowed tomb, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. But unlike other corpses, now watch this. This is what starts to jump out to me. Unlike other corpses, his body would not decay in the grave. There would be no decomposition decomposition of his flesh his body would be exempted from the divine pronouncement that from dust of the ground man came and from the dust of the ground men shall return Genesis 319 is it up there in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground for out of it was you you were taken for dust thou art and unto dust thou shalt return but the body of the Messiah would not be corrupted. Let's see what happens. Acts 2.27 says, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. The body of Jesus did not deteriorate one ounce in those three days that it laid in the grave. Next scripture. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. David wrote this thousands of years before the Lord was born. Next one. 
Hallelujah. The Feast of First Fruits. I want you to watch this now. If Passover speaks of the Lord's death on Calvary, and it does so loud and clear, the Feast of Unleavened Bread proclaims that His physical body would not experience the ravages of death while in the grave, which leads to this feast, First Fruits. Now see, when you look at this, this is a lot more different than just going to Coles and getting you an Easter outfit. There's a little bit more involved in this than just getting the Easter eggs and trying to get that rabbit to eat them so he can lay them. I like Easter egg hunts. I loved them when I was a kid. But there's more to it than just nice clothes and a big church service and Easter eggs. This feast began on the 16th day of Nisan. Two days after Passover, it occurred on the second day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So the first day is Passover, the second day is Unleavened Bread. Now the next, the next day, the very next day, is the Feast of Firstfruits. It was a celebration of the winter barley harvest that was beginning to ripen. Amen. Hallelujah. It is in the spring of the year, the, the harvest has been... The, crop has been planted it is in the spring of the year and now it becomes a meticulous ceremony celebrating the lord's earnest or his pledge on his part to bring about a full harvest they would go out into the field the barley field and they would begin to gather some first fruits and they would take them back and they would celebrate the first fruits because they knew that if they celebrated, they knew God's pledge that I'm not only going to give you first fruits, but I'm going to give you a full and complete harvest. Amen. Hallelujah. So as to the significance of this feast, there was no other feast. There is no doubt or speculation that God is going to bring this to pass. In writing to the church at Corinth, the apostle Paul found it necessary. Watch now to correct a major doctrinal error which was creeping into the assembly of believers. Some were being infected, not affected, A-F-F-E-C-T, infected, I-N-F-E-C-T. Infecting means it gets into you, all right? Some were being infected by a deadly first century virus known as Gnosticism. Among other things, this philosophy held that the material universe was inerrantly evil. Consequently, if men rose physically from the grave, according to Gnosticism, the result would be an evil body. Because of this teaching, some within the church were beginning to deny the concept of a literal physical resurrection. They believed in the immortality of the soul, but not in the resurrection of the body. You know, there was a group that Jesus dealt with in in his earthly ministry called the Sadducees. They believed in neither angels nor the resurrection of the dead. So they were sad, you see. I believe in angels. I believe in demons. I believe in a resurrection. Don't you? Huh? Amen. Paul rushed to nip this problem in the bud when he wrote to the Corinthian believers when he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? To reject the concept of a physical resurrection was to reject the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Logically, you cannot have the latter without the former. 
You cannot say, I'm going to be resurrected, but deny that Jesus was resurrected. Because when Jesus went to be baptized, John said, I need to be baptized of you. And he said, suffer to fulfill all righteousness. What was he saying? If I don't do it, dude, nobody will. Because there's going to be some smart aleck in 2010 that's going to say, well, Jesus didn't get baptized, so why should I have to? Well, Jesus didn't talk about speaking in tongues, so why should I have to? Oh, Jesus did talk about speaking in tongues. So you cannot have a resurrection for yourself if you do not believe that Jesus resurrected himself. The feast of Passover, next one, the feast of Passover spoke of the Messiah's death as a sacrificial and substitute lamb. Unleavened bread indicated that his body would not decay in the ground. Now, have you ever thought about that? Has, has anybody in here? Now, that's not a trick question. This is, I'm just asking you. Did you ever think about, did the Lord's body decay during the three days he was in the grave? Did that blood become rotten? Did that blood become rank? Did flies start to crawl in his ears? Maggots out of his eyes? Now, I'm being nasty, but have you ever thought about it? That's why God spoke to David way back in Psalms and said, I'm not going to leave your soul in hell, and you're, not, and you're not going to suffer any type of corruption. That body was as healthy, dead in that grave as it was on the third day as it was the first day that they put it in there. The unleavened bread indicated that his body would not decay in the grave, and now first fruits proclaims that death could not hold him down. Because out of that barley harvest came the first fruits. And the first fruits were signifying that there is a greater harvest to come. So who was the first to raise from the dead? Buddha? No. Muhammad? No. Socrates? No. Who was the first to raise from the dead? He said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive for." evermore that's what he said didn't he so it's in first fruit proclamation is now made that death could not hold him down it's called the feast of weeks this is the fourth and final spring harvest or spring feast that is coming it is known in the hebrew as Shavuot, which means weeks. The Hebrew term Shavuot, which means weeks. Let's go. It is called weeks because God specifically told the sons of Jacob that they were to count to count seven weeks from first fruit. Let's look at that in Leviticus 15 or 23:15. And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering seven sabbaths shall be complete seven weeks shalt thou number unto thee begin to number the seven weeks from such time as thou beginnest to put the sickle to the corn what was he saying when you bring in the sheaves for a wave offering in the feast of first fruits then you count seven sabbaths ahead seven weeks Seven times seven is what? 
49. Math is working. Don't stop going. Okay. Leviticus 23, 16. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number 50 days and shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Wow. He said, add one day, the day after, and it brings the total to 50 days. Watch this, my good friends. This fourth feast was to occur precisely 50 days after first fruits, which was the resurrection of the Messiah. This feast is also called Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says this, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Pentecost means 50th. Now, I don't know what this does to your Holy Spirit inside of you. But I'll tell you what, it kind of sacked me for a while. On this occasion, the children of Israel were not simply to bring the first fruits of the wheat harvest to the temple as they brought the first fruits of the barley harvest at the Feast of First Fruits, but two loaves of bread. These two loaves of bread were to be baked with fine flour and leaven. So now, you're looking at me like, Brother Tracy, we respect you and honor you as pastor of this church. But what are you trying to do to us today? Just hang on. Next one. The two loaves of bread brought to the temple, each were baked with fine flour and leaven. They had yeast in them. What is going on here? What do two, listen to this, 50 days, two loaves with leaven, what does it all mean? Next, the two loaves of bread pointed to the coming of the Holy Ghost, the birthday of the church. The Son of God, the Messiah, arose from the grave on first fruits. He then spent 40 days with his disciples. He informed them that it was necessary for him to go away. But promised to send the promise of the Comforter. To whom also he showed himself alive, Acts 1-3, after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Amen? He informed them that it was necessary to go and ascend back into heaven to apply the benefits of, his, of the blood, to shed blood once and for all. You can find that legal work in Hebrews chapter number 10. But that he would not abandon them, that he would send the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and he would come alongside them in his absence. And I will pray, John 14, 16, 17, the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, who was with them? Who was with them? Jesus. And what did he say? The guy who's with you shall be in you. 
So Jesus and the Holy Ghost, the indwelling Holy Ghost, is one and the same. That's what he said. Acts 1.4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. They were commanded to tarry in Jerusalem. They waited as they commanded. Their wait was not long. Only ten days. And then it happened. The Spirit of the Lord descended on those first century believers. For the feast of weeks. Now watch this. Let's go. For the feast of weeks. The two loaves that were brought to the temple. They represented Jew and Gentile. Now one in the Messiah with the coming of the Holy Ghost. Writing to the Ephesian believers, Paul said this. What did he say? Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace. Amen. This was to be leaven, or there was to be leaven in these two loaves, for the believers have not yet been glorified. So during this age, next one, during the church age, what's going on here? There was leaven in the two loaves of bread. Leaven in the scriptures represents sin. Yeah? Or at least that's what I told you. It represents sin. So now why do we have sin in loaves of bread in the temple? During the church age, which was which is what we are in right now, there is still sin within the church. Someone said, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll spoil it. Among all of us in the church, we have not yet been perfected. We have not yet been mortal in the immortality. We have not taken incorruption from the corrupt. We are still corrupt. We are still mortal. We are still subject to sin. How in the world do you know that? Because the greatest apostle that ever lived said, I found a law within me that says every time I tried to do good, evil was always present with me. And the things that I didn't want to do, those were the things that I did. And the things that I wanted to do, I couldn't do them because there was a law in me. It's called the law of flesh and the sin. That's why as long as there are people in the church, there will always be sin in the church. That's why when he brought together the two loaves of bread, a loaf of bread that represents the Jews and a loaf of bread to represent the Gentiles. And he brought them together and they were mingled with fine flour and leaven and sin. It was showing in this feast that God was having a church that was going to have sin in it, but it was also going to be a church where Jew and Gentile, free and bond, black and white and red and yellow and brown, how about this, and rich and poor and highfalutin and lowfalutin, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from, you are welcome in the church of the living God. Amen. Amen. 
That's what we want this church to be. We want this to be a church. We want drug addicts to be delivered. We want alcoholics to be delivered. We want people that are being haunted by their past to be delivered once and for all. This is the church and this is the feast of weeks that God said, I'm going to put in motion on the earth. See, that's where I'm coming from. I hadn't totally lost my mind the last two weeks. Next one. The fulfillment of the spring feast, Passover, speaks of redemption. The Messiah, the Passover lamb, has been slain for all of us. The unleavened bread. Passover was on the 14th day of the month. Unleavened bread began on the 15th day of the month. Represents sanctification. He was set apart. His body would not decay in the grave. Next one. First fruits speaks of resurrection. Death could not hold her foe. On the third day, Jesus rose triumphantly from the grave. And the Feast of Weeks origination, the coming of the Holy Spirit, inaugurated the new covenant and the church age. The middle wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles had been now broken down. From the two, the Lord is calling out the church, which is his body, us. You are a part of the body of Christ on the earth. Jesus is not going to bend over heaven and send his long arm down in his hand to touch anybody. Because the church's hands are his hands now. And the church's mouth is his mouth. And the church's legs are his legs. If anybody's going to go get them, it's going to have to be us. If anybody's going to have to teach them, go teach them. It's going to have to be our mouth that speaks and teaches. If anybody holds them and caresses them and loves them, it's going to be our arms and our hands that hold and love and caress them. So what in the world happened from Easter until the Feast of Weeks? They didn't go to the mall, man. They were talking about the Feast of the Lord. There was something that was happening. Do you know that seven weeks from Easter plus one is Pentecost? Now, I want it to be around here that every Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. I was with a preacher one time, and a visiting minister was there, and he said, so we were at the dinner table, and he said, so what do you do special for Pentecost Sunday? I love the reply. Every Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. We don't do anything different. We just have church. And guess what? We're going to have church today, and the Lord tarries. We're going to have church next Sunday, and we're going to have it on Wednesday, and we're going to baptize somebody on Thursday, and we're going to baptize somebody on Monday, and we're going to teach Bible studies on Tuesday night, and we're going to teach Bible study on Friday night, and we're going to find those who are hungry. If they need rides, we're going to haul them to church. Why? Because Christ has broken down the wall of separation and there is leaven in the loaves, man. You might as well come on in. Well, Brother Tracy, I don't know if I can keep going to this church because you preach too long and the music's too loud and dear God, it's freezing in here. But it's all right. 
Because if we get past all of that and realize that there was leaven in the loaves and the loaves represented one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all. And Paul said he is in you all. That's our goal around here. We want to get God inside of people. We want to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost inside of every man, woman, boy, and girl. Amen. Let's stand. Let's give the Lord a hand praise.